Great teachers are encouragers, but they are so much more, like make you love a subject that you didn't like before. I may not be the world's greatest mathematician, but once by chance, I danced a dance about subtraction and addition in a class of Mr. Rembrandt's. Oh, how I tallied as I dilly-dallied and pranced. I jumped so high, I split my pants, but nobody laughed, and Mr. Rembrandt was impressed. And yes, he's one of the teachers that I loved best. Dr. Chang had tiny purple circular glasses, and she made science one of everyone's favorite classes. She used replicas of planets instead of bathroom passes. And in our play about the elements and their atomic masses, I played argon, one of the noble gases, with a big number 18 pinned to my chest. Dr. Chang was one of the teachers that I loved best. Want to save time with common emails, grading comments, and repetitive typing? Use TextBlaze today to eliminate repetitive typing forever and get your work done within your working hours. Create easy-to-use templates with endless customizations and powerful automation. Try it free today at textblaze.me slash shifting schools. That's T-E-X-T-B-L-A-Z-E dot me slash shifting schools. And thank you to TextBlaze for being a Shifting Schools partner. For uh, Teacher Appreciation Week at my kids' kindergarten, uh, I, I wasn't the class parrot, so I hadn't organized anything like that. But I thought, oh, I should do something. So I found an old video of me reciting what teachers make on YouTube, you know, the one with like six million views on it. And, yeah. Uh, um, and I was like, I know you, you've probably heard this, uh, um, but here, this is me from 20 years ago. And, uh, and the, my kid's, um, kindergarten teacher was like, holy, that's you. I know. I know that. So it's, it's gotten so I, I, it's, I've gotten to the point where, yeah, my, even my kid's teachers know, know that poem. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It's such a good poem. Uh, and, uh, of course it'll be in the show notes and everywhere else as, as this comes out, uh, for teacher appreciation week. Uh, but Trisha, do you want to kind of get us started? Your voice is so recognizable. I, I, I mean, I almost feel like we shouldn't have introduced you and just, I feel like we could have had you uh, read the alphabet and I wonder how many of our listeners yeah, would be able to put it together. It it's funny because I, my, my, my hair changes, you know, I donated uh, 12 inches of my hair to the American Cancer Society when I convinced a thousand people to become teachers and I really like beer. Uh, Jeff, you look like you might enjoy a, a, a nice IPA. Yes, I do. Trisha, maybe you too. But my weight goes up and down. So <laughs> I, I I tend to my appearance can change, but I'll be at a at a place. I remember I was up in Seneca Village, Seneca Falls, where the first uh, women's suffrage uh, first annual conference of the woman, I think it was called in 1848. Um Partly organized by one of my great 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 grandmothers, Lucretia Mott, famous wow. proto proto feminist and abolitionist, and uh, I'm I'm walking around the the Women's History Center there, and there are these two people, and they they, they look like they might be teachers, and they're looking at me, and they just can't mm -hmm. quite decide whether <laughs> they should come up to me, and I say, you know. Do you have any potholders of Lucretia Mott? And they turn around and go, I knew it. As soon as you spoke, as soon as you spoke, I knew it. It's wonderful to be here. Well, and, uh, you know, your voice has both, I mean, 
the tenor of it has stayed the same, but now that we have your new book, The Teachers I Love Best, to me, you know, again, it's sort of like an extension of, as we've been talking about, your award-winning, very well-known spoken word, word performance, What Teachers Make, but this is also a completely new venture for you. Could you talk to listeners actually about how that book has asked you to kind of rethink your art and craft? Yes. As a matter of fact, my editor at Doubleday, Francis Gilbert, originally approached me and said, I see that you've written a poem called uh, What Teachers Make, and that you've actually published a book of essays that sort of backs up the pedagogical philosophy behind every line, which I loved writing that book. I, I got to sort of expand on you know the poem, write a little chapter on every line. Um, she said, "Would you have you ever considered writing a, a children's book? Uh, basically, what teachers make the the kids' version." And I was like, "Oh God, do I really want to recycle this poem again?" You know, in my career, yeah. yes, that poem has done wonderful things for me. But I've got other poems. I've got other poems <laughs> about teaching. So I sent her a a group of of other poems that I've got about teaching, and said, "You know, I can, I can, if you insist." write a children's book version of what teachers make. But what I would rather do is adapt one of these poems. Mm. And one of those poems was a, was called The Teachers I Loved Best, a, 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 a panegyric, a, an ode to the type of teachers. And I knew that I, would, I was going to be able to talk about all kinds of different teachers. And she like picked right up on that one and said, I've changed my mind. That is exactly the kind of picture book that I want to publish. And I know exactly the illustrator that I want to oh, use, wow. Erica Root. I've, I've never met her, but I've kind of have a literary crush on her drawings for years. So I want you to write this poem and I want you to write, uh, I'll get her to do the illustration. So I, it was wonderful that it didn't have to be the teachers, uh, t uh, what teachers make. Uh, and so I was just looking at this. I think I probably wrote it as a, a slam poem, a spoken word poem. I, yeah. I really got my, I got my experience, you know, in in the poetry slam. And all of my poems are meant to be spoken out loud. So th the process of sort of, as you said, reimagining it, I did have to make some adjustments, uh, and I can talk about those if you want. But I, I tend to make my answers too long, so. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear some about like, what are some of the adjustments? I mean, because I think this is great, you know, going from spoken word poems to a book, there has to be some adjustments that are made. Uh, and just thinking differently about how you deliver it, or or even just the idea that there's an illustration to go along with it, where when you're doing a spoken poem, they're, they're right, you are the illustration. Right. It's so... It's interesting you say that because just yesterday, I know that this is going to air in during Teacher Appreciation Week, but just yesterday I recorded the audiobook oh, for wow. this. So I, I've I've recorded a, a, a couple of books on tape uh, written by other people, and of course I did I did voiceovers for Burger King. Burger, <laughs> Burger King bought my first apartment. Just I had me saying, "When you have it your way, it just tastes better." Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> Offer available for a limited time only. Price and participation may vary. So I went down to this studio in Brooklyn. And of course, the director is in California, yeah. as, I th as I think you guys might be. And um, and the audio engineer is you know in another room. And I'm in this, it's almost like in uh, 
I, I walked into the, they have two studios in this big complex down in Sunset Park called Industry City. And I walked into one suite, there's the little the water cooler and you know there's where you wait and there's the apple because nothing prepares the mouth for reading you guys probably know this as podcast hosts if you're a little dry mouth eat an apple it prepares the mouth for speaking and then they take me into this room where there are about six rolling soundproof closets <laughs> and all of them say on air on air recording wow. And so, and he's like, you go in this one here and you go in and I put on the headphones and there's the director in, you know, I can't see her. Yeah. She's in California saying, okay, I want, let's read this. And now, okay, that was good. Now let, I want you to bring some of your spoken words, slam energy to it. You know? <laughs> because often when you're, to, to answer your question directly, the one you asked, if it's you on stage performing in front of a group audience, you need to bring the energy. Right. And you need to gesture, uh, you need to use eye contact. You can't be looking down at the book. Uh, I'm sure I will memorize this poem by the time I have done a, a bunch of readings to it. When you are talking on a podcast, when you are reciting the book, for audio download, you cannot bring that level of mm. live energy. So you have to tone it down a little bit. That one of the one of the things people make fun of spoken word poets for is you know reading too fast and reading too loud. This is audio. You're speaking to kids, so you know get a little bit, put a smile in your voice, yeah. and read read with energy. But the other thing that I had to realize is that the poem that is coming out in the book is very much written in rhyming couplets. Mm. And the only way that I rebelled against that is that occasionally I would have three line, three rhymes or four rhymes. And I, I rarely, I tried not to always use, um, and stopped rhymes like da 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 cat da 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 mat because that drives me crazy, <laughs> and you would never and you would never do that uh, in a slam. Have mm. such a obviously repetitive rhyme scheme. So what I first gave that my first couple of drafts that I gave to Francis Gilbert, I was sort of rebelling against the rhyming couplet. And I would, you know, it was a, a jingle jangle. I, I like things that rhyme accidentally, you know, when I'm not even trying to rhyme particularly mentally. See what I just did there? <laughs> That's the way I like to rhyme. Like, ooh, it's it's here, but it's not there. It's like a, a pair of sneakers that you, canvas sneakers that you put in the dryer. You know, it's a tumbling beat, but it's not regular. It's surprising. And you, th oh, here it is, but here it's not. And now, mm. oh my God, now there's three. And Francis kept saying, what is going on with this rhyme? Would you just <laughs> pick a rhyme scheme and stick to it? And I was like, "You mean be boring?" Was like, no, it's not boring. You're, you're, you know who the age is of this of this book? And I was like, uh, "Anywhere between, uh, you know, eight and 90. She's like, "No, it's eight year olds, and maybe they've got a grandparent reading." I was like, "Oh, you're right. Okay." So I had to sort of fall in love again with mm. rhyming couplets and lean into the rhyme scheme more so than I would have if I were still writing for the slam. I like that.
I, I love that idea of the surprise because I think, you know, again, the, the surprising rhymes, they keep the reader or the listener kind of on, you know, the end of the seat of their chair, like waiting for what the connection will be or how you're going to take, you know, that rhyme and actually build something on it. And that kind of actually reminds me of something that you've done inside the book, The Teachers I Love Best. And I'm thinking about this because um, I am not in California. I'm in kind of the opposite of California, Taylor. I'm in Ottawa. <laughs> and uh, last week we had temperatures of minus 30 degrees oh my goodness. Celsius. Only when and, I was in um, Fairbanks local- have I ever experienced anything <laughs> that cold. Yes. Um, but what was nice was the local news actually did this really great job of they they had photos of crossing guards who they had no choice they had to be out there doing their job in you know brutal brutal conditions and you have a line in your poem in the book that that reads quote the definition of a teacher should be anyone who makes you work harder than you thought you could and that's again you're talking about educators not just as the classroom teacher but the role that principals, librarians, crossing guards play, right? It's a community, it's a community that has to come together to do this seemingly impossible task of, you know, inspiring um, children. And we'd love to hear more from you about why it was important to include kind of a broader definition of who an educator is. Okay. Be sure to go back and ask me about leaving space for the illustrator to do her work, because that was an important part of your question, Jeff, that I just remembered that I didn't get to. Okay. An early draft that I gave to Francis uh, mentioned specific teachers by name, and I th- and I actually have that here, and and maybe in a moment I'll read you. I don't think I should read the entire book as it is going to be published <laughs> in March. Francis probably Doubleday would probably not like that, but but I can. There's yeah. nothing that says I can't read you uh, parts of the original poem that got cut. Um, and so I had specific teachers that I liked, uh, you know, Dr. Chang and Mrs. Greer, and, uh, and there's another one that I'll that I'll tell you about. And I wanted to do not just um, uh, my my mother-in-law is a is a former teacher, principal, and assistant superintendent out in uh, Edmonds, Washington, public schools, and she was saying, "Hey, why aren't principals getting any love mm. in, in your book?" And I thought, "Oh." Well, since Francis doesn't want me to talk about uh, specific teachers, she wanted me to keep it a little more general. She said, take the, take the specific names of specific teachers out, which was another thing that I thought, wait, no, you're going in the opposite direction. direction yeah. You know, as a poet, you, you know, you need to, as a writer, you need to learn that the more specific you get, the is the, the great paradox of writing is that the more of my own life I put into my writing, the more other people will be able to see their own lives in it. You think that, oh, I, I need to pull back a little bit and be a little mm. more general. Eh, in general, that's not true. But Francis, every time Francis gave me notes for how to improve um, the, the draft that, that, that Doubleday has, event- has published, Initially, I would say, oh, darn, I wanted you to say, this is perfect. Every word is perfect. I'm not, let's not touch it. Yeah. But she always had notes, and I was like, okay, fine. I'll do what you think is going to make this better. And she was always right. She was always mm-hmm. right. And I think we, we ended up with the best children's book that, that I am capable 
of writing. So my, my wife is an editor as well. And she said, see, editors do their job. We, we really, we know what we're doing. All right. I'm, this is a long way of um, answering the question about why I expanded the definition of, of teachers. If I was not going to be allowed to talk about specific teachers, named teachers, and was going to talk about teachers in general, then I wanted to expand the definition mm. of teacher so that this was a love letter to anyone who makes you work harder than you think you can. And that is, that is the job of the teacher, to sh give you a green light. If that is what you want to do, I encourage you. I encourage you. Do it, do it, do it. And this is, and let me help you. Let me show you the steps and then get out of the way and, and encourage you to work harder than you ever thought you could. And so I included principles to include my, my mother-in-law and crossing guards and librarians and, uh, you know, and the custodian of the school. If they encourage you to clean up after yourself, then they're a teacher. Hmm. So that was a way of sort of spreading the love around. Hi folks, we'll get back to today's conversation in just a minute. We're super excited to introduce you to an ad text blaze to our growing list of shifting school sponsors. If you hate sending emails and working late while grading student assignments, and you're like most teachers, always looking for a way to save time and get your work done before you go home, well then text blaze might just be your answer. With TextBlaze, you can save time on repetitive typing and get your work done within your working hours. Using TextBlaze, you set up keyboard shortcuts to insert frequent email replies, common grading feedback, and any repetitive text you find yourself typing. TextBlaze is a Chrome extension that once you install it, allows you to create customized shortcuts to use anywhere within your Chrome browser. So create custom shortcuts to use in any web-based LMS system like Google Classroom or Canvas or any web-based email system like Gmail. TextBlaze has saved users over 28 hours a month. Think about that for a second. You spend a few minutes setting up your templated responses to students, parents, or colleagues, and then with a couple keystrokes, have TextBlaze write it for you. One of my favorite features is you can create a template and also have TextBlaze put the cursor where you want it within the template. So imagine you're sending home the same email over and over again to parents. You can create a TextBlaze template that writes the email for you and automatically puts the cursor where the student's name needs to appear within the email, saving you time and clicks. Don't take my word for it though. You can try it out for free by going to textblaze.me slash shifting schools and set up your account and see how TextBlaze can save you time on repetitive tasks. So what are you waiting for? Visit textblaze.me slash shifting schools to get started saving time today. That's textblaze.me slash shifting schools. And we thank TextBlaze for being a shifting school sponsors. And now back to our conversation. I just I I love that because it is and, and uh, it's, uh, there's so many great parts of the book. Uh, I want to go back and talk about that idea of leaving space for the illustrator because the right. illustrations in the book, uh, the parts that that we've seen a little bit of are, are just beautiful. And can you talk about like how how what 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 how did you have to change what you did for for an illustration book like this for children children illustration. I didn't change anything. I just trusted in the process. Mm. You know, my experience with Francis 
the editor was so good that I, you know, I trusted her and I took the direction, the book into the directions that she requested. And I knew I didn't know Erica Root uh, before. I wrote her a handwritten letter. I, you can't stop me from writing handwritten letters. Actually, Francis did. She said, "Don't." I encourage my authors, "Don't get, don't start communicating with the illustrator. That's the last thing you want is the writer, you know, yeah. going behind the editor's back, saying, "Could could you make this kid look um, a little uh, prettier?" You know. <laughs> so so they, they they handled that, and I just I left room between the lines mm. for the illustrator to bring her art and her genius to it as well without saying, and you know, here's what I want the picture to look like on this page. You know, there's a, there's a, um, there's a line in it that said, I had a science teacher once who had us put on a play about the solar system and the intricate way that the moon and their planets revolve around the sun. You can see me using engemment in those lines, you know, th- so that it, it doesn't just stop at the end of the line. I had mm-hmm. a science teacher once who had us put on a play about the solar system and the intricate way that the moon and the planets revolve around the sun. Did you know that Jupiter has many moons? You will because you are one. Mm-hmm. And so I just left that out there and trusted that Erica Root was going to draw a adorable photograph of these kids dressed up in planet costumes. Yeah. Francis cut my line. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to have a. There was a whole stanza that was going to be a song in the voice of Callisto. Callisto is one of the the planet Jupiter has about eighty moons, which I feel like nobody talks about. <laughs> I mean, if anybody can name, you know, five of Jupiter's moons, it's Ganymede, Io, Callisto. There, I've forgotten. I can only come up with three, but. Um, <laughs> You know that um, Suzanne Vega song, "My Name Is Calypso," and <laughs> it's about it's about uh, Ulysses. It, Ulysses spends a year on an island with Calypso, and uh, she wrote a song from Calypso's point of view, being left by uh, um, Ulysses. And so I had this little song that that Callisto, one of the eighty moons of Jupiter's, was going to get a solo in this, you know, imaginary kids musical about the solar system. But it, but again, like like it got it got cut. So it, working with other people who are good at what they do, you just need to, you know. It's kind of like stopping in the middle of the poem and just leaving an empty space and saying, here's room for the, for the other people to do what they do. Howard Ashman, Howard Ashman, who is a famous lyricist of Disney musicals, um, wrote um, mo- much of the, of the songs for um, Aladdin. Uh, and there's a line where um, he's writing the song, Never Had a Friend Like Me. Do you know that? Do you guys have kids? Mm-hmm. You know that song? Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a line where he wrote, uh, can your friends do this? Can your friends do that? Can your friends pull this out of their little hats? And, and that just to me is exactly what I'm talking about. Just like, I don't have to tell the animators what the this is. I'm mm. just leaving room there. You've got four and a half seconds to make as much stuff come out of Robin Williams' hat as you can think of, you know? So that's, 
that it was it was a wonderful process, and I hope I write another children's book because when when a good editor can put you together with other people who have skills, your job, even as the writer of the book, is to get out of the way and let them do what they do. Yeah. Trisha, it's so funny listening to, uh, to Taylor talk about this. You know, we've done so many interviews where we it always comes back to this creative collaboration, right? As you just have a creative collaboration and there's, there's trust involved, there's feedback involved uh, that goes into no matter what the project is, it always comes back to being a creative collaborative project, which I think is just so cool. It's just a theme that constantly comes out. I've never done improv. Oh, and, sorry. You know, I've never done improv, but I do know that if there are three people in the scene, you're really only responsible for a third. Mm. You know, you 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 do you stay in your line, in your lane, and you you know be your character. But you don't you know you you're not the only one up there. So yeah. leave leave room for other people to to be part of the scene. I love that. And it's great advice. And I also appreciate that it's likely much easier said than done. And, you know, I've been very fortunate on my other podcast to get to interview loads of children's book writers who, again, talk about, as you've done, like sometimes they don't get to pick the illustrator. Sometimes there's zero communication throughout that process. And I'm guessing, Taylor, especially for someone like you, who you've had this incredible success in this creative space, right? Um, that releasing some of that control and trusting, it's not always necessarily like mm-hmm. a natural no. instinct because in many ways, like, yeah. you know, what works, you have seen what, what works creatively. So I'm just wondering if you might talk to like the, almost the emotional intelligence that goes into you being able to do what you're talking about, because I'm sure there are some folks listening, our educator audience who, you know, even designing a unit with somebody else. Also, you have to, you know, listen to other people's ideas, think about what might have worked for them in the past. So that idea of giving some of that creative ownership over to others and also realizing this thing that I have done that's always worked for me just because I've done great things doesn't mean like uh, Dylan Williams has this great expression of sometimes teachers have to stop doing good things in order to do great things. Um, so could you just say a little more about that idea of how you get to that place of, I'm going to trust this other person who is also an expert in their own right? Like, because I think that emotional weight piece, it's not as easy as saying yeah. like, okay, I'll just do it. I'm going to very quickly answer that question and then get to something else that you said about emotional intelligence, because there was a stanza in the original draft that I gave to Francis about emotional intelligence. And I, cause I wanted to sort of encourage, and that was another thing that my, my mother-in-law, Dr. Khan, Dr. Ellen Khan um, said like, well, what about teachers who can recognize in students, uh, you know, certain emotional intelligence, you know, don't you want to talk about that as well? So, but as far as sort of putting your ego in check and, and, realizing like how, there's no there's no easy way to do it as if you're a type a person and you want to have control um i'm a four-time national poetry slam champion so i know what i'm doing when i'm up on stage and presenting a poem in front of a group of people but this was my first children's book i didn't want to go in there and be all be all white man like listen to me so and also <laughs> being a white man 
is uh, more and more for me about shutting up and and <laughs> listening and letting other people have put in their two cents. So is it is it hard? Yeah. Um, is it vital? Yes. Um, am I glad I did it? Yes. Now let me talk about emotional intelligence. Can I read? Can, can I read a couple of these stanzas that were in a draft of the original book? I think I can do sure. that. And double that. You're yeah. not going to get in trouble with Double Day. I hope not. If we get Taylor. sued, we'll just be like, "Hey, Taylor, that's <laughs> money. You've got to give us some." <laughs> Great teachers are encouragers, but they are so much more. Like make you love a subject that you didn't like before. I may not be the world's greatest mathematician, but once by chance I danced a dance about subtraction and addition in a class of Mr. Rembrandt's. Oh, how I tallied as I dilly-dallied and pranced. I jumped so high, I split my pants, but nobody laughed and Mr. Rembrandt was impressed. And yes, he's one of the teachers that I loved best. Dr. Chang had tiny purple circular glasses, and she made science one of everyone's favorite classes. She used replicas of planets instead of bathroom passes. And in our play about the elements and their atomic masses, I played argon, one of the noble gases, with a big number 18 pinned to my chest. Dr. Chang was one of the teachers that I loved best. Now, here's the stanza about emotional intelligence. And I, I, did, I had forgotten about this until right before I got on the air with you guys. Once in a class of Mrs. Greer's, my friend Lily was deeply sighing. Lily was my neighbor for a couple of years. Although Lily looked like she was sighing, I knew that she was trying her best to keep from crying. I didn't know why she wanted to cry, but I didn't want her to feel alone. So I looked in her eyes and I cried tears of my own. Later that day, after I got home, Mrs. Greer called my mom and they cried on the phone. God, I'm I'm almost getting emotional wow, reading that. Yeah. About this little kid, all she did was, you know, cry tears with her friend mm. because she saw her friend was hurting. And like, excuse me, Mrs. Mrs. Greer, Lily, Lily's hurting. And then and she did such a good job of that that that, you know, Mrs. Greer you know, called the, you know, I'm sure Mrs. Greer called Lily's parents Parents, and said, Lily had a a tough day and we went into the nurse's office and we sorted it out. But then, you know, if you know my work, you know how much I, as a teacher, loved calling home to tell Mm. parents that their kids had done something amazing in class. I was never emotionally intelligent enough to be able to recognize you know what what's happening here in this class, but I love the idea of a teacher calling a, a mom and saying, "I witnessed a moment of great emotionally emotional intelligence today in class, and your kid helped Lily." Anyway, those are three stanzas that are not in. Oh, here's a fourth one. Talk about uh, talk about expanding the definition of what it means to be a teacher. I learned about nutrition from Miss Ruby, the lunch lady. Talk about carrots. She'd make you munch the bunch, lady. Forget your avocado toast. Miss Ruby, Miss Ruby was no brunch lady. Can you guess why my poems pack such a powerful punch? Maybe it's all about eating healthy and right. Miss Ruby said I was going places. I've just got a hunch, baby. <laughs> so. <laughs> So that's the kind of the jingle surprising. Oh, where am I going? And and yeah. Francis was like, okay, 
love the energy, but let's contain it a little bit. <laughs> the genie gets its power from the bottle. Ooh, I like that. That's that's, that's Robert Frost. That's oh, Robert that's... Frost. <laughs> I like that. That's so good. Did I, Trisha? Did I give enough uh, attention to the question as you a- asked it before s- swerving I, to the yes, question? That absolutely. I to okay. No, no, and, and they're they're connected because I think you know that gets to the just the infinite nuances of what a teacher does, right? You know, the curriculum is like ten percent of the work I think of an educator because we're dealing with human beings, which. You know, again, it's Teacher Appreciation Week, but I think we want to get to a place where we're appreciating educators all the time, all year. Maybe we don't even need the week. And again, your your spoken word poem, What Teachers Make, it's featured on the TED site as one of their best of the web highlights. You've got millions of views. And that performance ends with you stating that, quote, teachers make a difference. So in closing, we'd love to hear from you. And I almost feel like maybe I can guess your answer. Um in, Tesla. in your journey, is it Tesla through offering this new book? <laughs> uh, Pitbull? <laughs> no, three times a week. <laughs> it's 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 not. I feel like maybe I'll type it into the chat and I'll see if um, uh, you know your your journey in authoring this. Who is that person who made a difference? It's funny. I, I was I'm uh, before I realized that you probably weren't going to ask me to read the text of the poem. I have what are called the galleys, or the. Uh, there's actually a word for it. It's not galleys, but they sent me the unbound copy of the book just to say, this is what it's going to look like. Do you see any any final op- opportunities? This is your final opportunity to catch typos and stuff like that. Although, talk about leaving room for the experts to do what, what they do. <laughs> there are no typos in this because they have, they have people, that do, people that. that do that will catch yeah. that. Um, and earlier this week, I, I sent the, the 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 book is dedicated to my fourth grade teacher, Kate Malanzi, and she's still alive, and uh, and and we correspond. And I say that she was the first teacher to love me back. We haven't talked about love so much in this podcast, but it's a central part of the book. Love is at the center of every great teacher's lesson. If you've had even one, then you know they've been a blessing. The teachers I loved best were the ones who I sensed loved me back, and I didn't want to disappoint them. And that's why I worked my ass off. Can I say ass on this podcast? That's why I worked my ass off for these teachers because I knew they loved me, and I didn't want them to disappoint me. So... Erica dedicates the book to all teachers who teach us how to be better human beings, I think is what she said. I dedicated my my portion, the the words, to Kate Malanzi, my fourth grade teacher, who was the first to love me back. But I have had several amazing teachers, and one of them uh, is is a teacher in graduate school. I went to graduate school in the middle of Kansas. And Jerome Deese, whose birthday was just yesterday, and I didn't even know that when I sent him, <laughs> the, I, the, you know, I, I sent him the the galleys of the book and said, "You are one of the teachers who I knew loved me best." I am so blessed that I have had so many great teachers, and that just reminded me that at the end of this document that I have up in front of me, and this might be a good or terrible way to end this podcast, I. Uh, 
I have a list of rhymes that I'd written, and I can't remember how many of these I uh, used in the actual book, but for the teachers I loved best, I was wondering whether I was going to use the word zest or pest, or I guess you guessed all the rest. I feel blessed to get this off my chest. I hope no teachers arrive at school underdressed, but they may have confessed that it's been fun to be your guest, and I hope you get to digest. And I'm sorry if I've digressed, but I speak sometimes in jest. I love education as a quest, and I hope you're impressed. And gosh, I have to stop because now I feel stressed. (laughs) (laughs) That's just me reading a list of rhymes that I don't even know whether I used. I love that. Well, Taylor, it's, a, it's, it's an honor <laughs> to have you uh, right on now. the podcast. Uh, your again, your YouTube video, uh, like I think before we start recording, you said you could like put your life into two, you know, two parts before you did uh, what what teachers make uh, and after what make te- uh, what teachers make. So I really appreciate you coming on. Looking forward to the book. Uh, you know, I think this is the perfect podcast for Teacher Appreciation Week uh, and all you educators out there, no matter how old you are or what age of students you teach you're going to want to go uh, grab a copy of the book because uh, it is it is beautifully written, uh, great illustrations and uh, really is uh, just uh, a, a great book to talk with, with people of all ages with. So Taylor, thank you so much for writing it and for doing all you do for educators and, and making sure education is at the forefront of people's minds. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Just a reminder, you can save $25 on any of our learning pathways at shiftingschools.com by using the code SSPOD25 at checkout. If you like today's show, or if you have something you'd like us to talk about, send us an email at info at shiftingschools.com. And of course, rates and reviews are always appreciated. Until next time, we'll see you on the network.